This is Phantom Power. Episode 10 (laughs) Animal Control If humans did this to each other, they'd call it sonic warfare, terrorism, or crowd control, depending on who did it and whom they did it to. They'd call the end result, for the victims that is, post-traumatic stress. But skunks aren't human, they're not even pets, not like your spaniel who clearly enjoys notions of his own. Can a skunk suffer post-traumatic stress? Aren't they just wild animals? Yes and yes, sound is contact, fear is a weapon, the wild is here. Welcome back to another episode of Phantom Power, where we explore the world of sound in the arts and humanities. I'm Mac Haygood. And I'm Chris Cheek. Hi, Chris. Hi, Mac. How you doing? I'm okay. Uh, We've got an interesting episode in store today, I think. Good. I spoke with an author of fiction and nonfiction work. Her name is Mandy Suzanne Wong. She hails from Bermuda. Yeah. She's got a PhD from the University of California in Los Angeles. You may have heard of the place. I have. She's very interdisciplinary, right? Yeah, yeah. She's another person that I met through that crazy conference for science, literature, and the arts. Right. And like the other person that we met. Brian House. Brian House. Yeah, the other person we met at that conference, Brian House. uh, She has a concern with animals and um, and the sounds of animals and sound art about animals. Right. It seems like she is a creative writer in short fiction and also has a novel coming out this year. Mm-hmm. Uh, it seems like she is also an essayist about sound, almost a creative nonfiction uh, thinking about sound. Is that right? Yeah, yeah, and she's got this manuscript that she recently finished, and it's called Listen, We All Bleed. And it's, you know, her critical response to a number of sound art pieces that uh, focus on the human-animal relationship through sound. So on today's show, we're going to listen to four pieces of audio that Mandy Suzanne Wong has written about in Listen, We All Bleed. We're going to listen to those pieces, and we're also going to listen to her words about those pieces. So the first piece we're going to listen to is by Robbie Judkins. It's called Desired Place, and it's on his album Homo Tyrannicus. is empathy. There are at least two definitions of empathy out there among philosophers of animal ethics. One is basically, if I empathize with you, I feel something similar to what you feel. Another is, when I empathize with you, I am deeply affected by your situation, but in my own way. 
I think Robbie Judkin's desired place could be about either or both. I think empathy is a kind of resonance. And the final track on his album Homo Tyrannicus, Desired Place, opens with a beautiful electronic chord, long and rolling in slow motion through the tones of some major triad with a bit of fuzz. Two minutes. Most people would say that's very long for a chord. And it keeps going and then little bells start ringing. Wind bothering a microphone. Splash or stumble in the grass. The bells are somehow hollow. And then sheep and cattle lowing. The bells are full of footsteps in the grass. One interviewer called this piece a collage of simultaneous curiosities. First, this long chord. I'm a fan of drone and ambient music. I know long chords. There are long chords I can sleep in, chords I can bathe in or fly in, chords that hold my breath or gouge me or transform me into carpet or warm water. They assert their independence, which is why Robbie says they are humbling. This long chord is dusty velvet, maybe even musty, with velvet cushions on the sides. It's also electric with dust motes in pale wintry light. It coils the tones of the triad round and round. This motion is internal. Coils of rope are still one rope. This is a binding cord, and the hollow little bells creeping up on it, and the footsteps in the grass. Farm animals, says the album's website, and English winter weather. I hear cattle and sheep moving through wide grasslands under heavy ash-gray skies. I've read that northern shepherds keep track of the herded and attune to their tempers by listening to the bells around their necks. I think this piece is about captivity and liberation and friction between what feels like liberation but is also captivity. There are at least two ways to hear the animals lowing, tinkling, and swishing through the open field. Here's one way. Ah! Nature, tranquility, pastoral simplicity, peace and the wide open, where everyone walks and tinkles instead of shoving and cursing, breathing the perfume of fresh grass instead of smog. This feeling is genuine and legitimate. Desired place is beautiful and calming. Here's another way to hear the culmination of Homo Tyrannicus. The sheep and cattle tinkle because they're some human's property. They fare better on the range than they do in stanchions, but the clang of captivity has them by the throat. Appended to their bodies at the neck, bells are their prosthetic voices, as though captivity were some defining part of them. Just as the human Robbie Judkins, who comes to their wide open to escape himself, is imprisoned in himself, even in the great wide open, to the point that he's turned to mirtazapine, an antidepressant of last resort, which gives its name to the previous track. Empathy means coming to share a relevantly similar affective state with another. It happens here in the simple juxtaposition of sounds and words.
Captive non-human animals do suffer depression. We don't often think of it as complicated, all-consuming anguish worthy of drugs and psychiatrists, but it is. Horrifying though it is, captive fishes have been treated with Prozac and responded. I think Desired Place is an imprisoned human heart crying out to prisoner cattle, I feel what you feel. It's so complex and knotted, it never lets me go. But Desired Place isn't just about the artist. Judkins makes his own field recordings, but he's not the one who bars. He says, playing with animal sounds and animals is another humbling experience. For it's about not feeling that you're a master of them. It's about feeling with them. So Desired Place is neither a tranquil place nor a bare-walled cell, but a place where words about human tyranny and anguish coincide with captive animal sounds to give us an opportunity to appreciate that they suffer tyranny and anguish of the same complexity, but differently. Desired Place is a resonance, sounding out the irony in humans' obtuse idea of freedom echoing the complexity in non-humans' emotional experience of captivity. Empathy is a liminal place full of echoes and reflections, changing color as they fly. Thoughts? I have a lot of thoughts about that. I actually like it as a piece interrelating her writing with the sound, although I know the sound exists in its own right. So for people who want to hear the sound art without the voices, we've put the links up on our website. I'm drawn to thinking about cowbells and sheep bells and goat bells and what that does to the sheep or the cow or the goat. They they are having they're forced into hearing this clanging every time they move their head. That must be, to say the least, incredibly annoying. Let alone intrusive, uncomfortable, maybe deafening. Yeah, maybe literally deafening, you know, you can certainly see this as a form of torture. Right. And yet, you know, I think from our anthropocentric perspective, I mean, this is the sound of like, you know, the bucolic good life, right? That's right. this, This gentle clinking and clanging. I mean. We do. We think about it as uh, kind of like a rural idyll. Yeah. Um, Oh, the. The sound of the cattle coming across the hillside or the clanking of the, the clinking clanking of the goats in the valley. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I, I love it as this meeting place, um, this space for, for conjuring the kind of empathy that Mandy Suzanne Wong is talking about here. That's right. Hearing, trying to hear from the perspective 
of these animals and hear how this sound that's beloved to us maybe <laughs> torture to them. Absolutely. Let's hear another one. So the next piece is also by sound artist Robbie Judkins, and this one is a live performance that he did in London in 2017. It's called Pest. You're fast asleep in your cookie-cutter house in a decent suburban night. A stinking feral cat slinks onto your property, bent on wreaking havoc among your flower beds and spreading cat disease to little Junior. But never fear, you've got an ultrasonic animal repeller. The infiltrator trips the motion sensor and your faithful military green box on a stick starts shooting powerful ultrasounds and blinding lights. The intruder... Cat, bat, rat, hedgehog, fox, raccoon, squirrel, skunk, mole, or dog feels deafening sounds spearing its brain. Scared out of its wits, the enemy turns and runs. Meanwhile, you continue snoozing in your bed, dreaming perhaps of football, having noticed not a thing, humane and guaranteed. If humans did this to each other, they'd call it sonic warfare, terrorism, or crowd control, depending on who did it and whom they did it to. They'd call the end result, for the victims, that is, post-traumatic stress. But skunks aren't human, they're not even pets, not like your spaniel, who clearly enjoys notions of his own. Can a skunk suffer post-traumatic stress? Aren't they just wild animals? Yes and yes, sound is contact, fear is a weapon, the wild is here. Robbie Judkins tells me the sounds of ultrasonic animal repellers give him ear pain, even though he can't hear them. Imagine hearing them with hypersensitive dog ears. Now dream back to London, 2017, where Robbie's made a sonic arsenal into a 22-minute artwork. He calls it Pest. With him on stage is the Murr-Power Solar Ultrasonic Animal Repeller. Two of them, actually. Robbie stands between them with his laptop on a table. In real time, he translates their ultrasounds to audible sounds and layers them with field recordings of other sonic repellents. Sometimes Robbie leaves the table. He walks back and forth across the stage, pacing as if on patrol or imprisoned in a bare cell. He keeps having to hop or duck the wires strung across the stage at chest level and ankle height. They're high-tension wires, the kind farmers use to keep birds out of their crops. When the wires move in the wind, Robbie says, they make a droning, humming noise, really noisy and really loud. And so he layers that noise with solar ultrasonic javelins stretched into long, loud, lancing wails. Every time he leaves or returns to his laptop, he must wriggle between wires, stepping up and ducking under, he dings his head once, and then bending or crouching over the computer, having nothing to sit on. Later, he admits it's somewhat painful to perform. And that's the point. 
The artist literally ensnares himself. He doesn't spare himself as he blasts the only species on this planet that would purchase ultrasonic animal repellers with the noises of those very things as the outcasts might hear them. Ortification as subversion. The whole thing is physically awkward for all humans present. Even for a fan of drone music, Pest is discomfortingly piercing. Pest's drones are sonic walls, as if magnifications of ultrasonic fortresses. Pest is an invisible fortress that makes my body feel like liquid. It sounds out the ambiguity of resistance. Resistance as rigidity, refusal to give ground even to a squirrel. Resistance as critical effrontery, revolt, the very force of change. Now, there are no mice in moles in pest. No non-human animal sounds at all. What does their absence tell you about the kind of threat they are? And where are the pests? What are they? Which species is trapped in emptiness here, with nothing but itself and the traps it has invented, and wildness trembling inside it? What I like about listening to these pieces, and I think what's starting to emerge is is all of these different methodologies that we have for controlling our relationship to animals yeah. and controlling the the animals themselves and how much sound plays into these things, right? You know, you want to keep tabs on the animal, so you put a bell around its neck, right? Right, or right. You and wanna, then you know where it is. Yeah, so then you always know where it is and or you want to keep the animal away. Some animals, we want to keep them and so we use sound to do that. Some, we want to repel them, so we use sound to do that. Um, sometimes the things that we're doing to animals, as we'll see in a moment, uh, cause the animals to make inconveniently loud and unhappy sounds, so maybe we'll, we'll mask that with some sound. It's all of these ways of asserting our dominance over animals. Dominance and privilege, a sense of the the, the non-human animal interactions that we favor, that we want to have. Yeah. We want the cuddly. Uh, when we want the cuddly, we want the cuddly. <laughs> right. uh, and where and how we want the cuddly, we want the cuddly. Cuddles on demand. Cuddles on demand. That sense of policing our own spaces to eviscerate them of any other animal presences. Okay, Chris, so this next piece, I wouldn't say it's sound art per se, but it's a field recording made surreptitiously by a guy named Claude Matthews. 
Once you've heard a big dog cry, you won't forget it. Or hundreds of dogs, big and small, black and brown and dappled. Claude Matthews met them on death row. Matthews went again and again to the Center for Animal Care and Control in Manhattan, taking pictures of homeless dogs and cats in cages. He made flyers for each animal, urging humans to adopt them before the CACC killed them, froze their bodies, and then burned them. In June 1996, he smuggled in a mic and dat recorder, hid them in his camera bag, put the bag on the floor, pressed record. He shuffled quietly along the corridors, 2A, 2B, 3A, 3B, photographing every single dog in every last narrow, dingy cage stinking with piss and fear. In every cage, a dog ran up to plead with him. They threw themselves at bars and mesh. They tried to eat away the mesh, terriers and Great Danes ramming themselves through food slots, while Alsatians and bulldogs sprawled in corners, giving up. All the while, the dat recorder ran, so Matthews took home two hours of doggy agony. Now and then, among the whimpering and raging, Matthews' bag rustles. The floor taps him from beneath. He's right there in the foreground where the dogs howl. In the background, not quite distant, is music. Of all things, that old song by Billy Joel, Leave a Tender Moment Alone. It's a horror of a coincidence. The CACC didn't know about Matthew's tape recorder. He offered to build a website connecting lonely humans with homeless dogs. The CACC turned him down, choosing to leave the moment alone and kill the animals instead. Matthews wrote, It was massive and systemized violence, but it is not called violence. The facilities which perform the killing are called shelters, facilitating denial of, or at least a diffusion of responsibility, for what is in fact a premeditated policy of cruel austerity. The music is far in the background, silly soft rock, sequestered beyond umpteen walls and corridors. If you don't know the song, you won't recognize it, but you'll know its music. You'll pick up its mellow rhythms, even though Matthews positioned his dat recorder so that the dogs would drown out everything. For CACC staff, it was the other way around. Music flooded the halls to drown the screams. A musical deployment to crush responsibility in willful ignorance. Howls and croons were countermeasures firing on each other in a stalemate. Their collision on Matthews' recording is an explosion of noise. But the way he recorded it was hush-hush subversive. The recording had to be made in secret, but the CACC wouldn't have let Matthew set the dat the way he did. From the hidden recorder's inhuman perspective, human crooning drowns in non-human misery. 
Doggy howling drowns the human staff's pretensions to normality, the fantasy that those cages are like a doctor's waiting room or shopping mall with piped-in prettiness. Listening, I start to feel like the rope in a tug-of-war between faint Billy Joel and deafening doomed pit bulls. The music's presence shows how determined ignorance is, but with their chaotic range of pitches, timbres, dire emotions, and sheer shattering volume, what can I say, the doggies win. Their voices, so loud, so distraught, and in such numbers, coerce me to listen. So it's a terrifying recording, but I have to almost make light of the fact that my response to Billy Joel might be not dissimilar. <laughs> yeah, yeah, the, the, the juxtaposition of the, the Billy Joel is just almost too much. It's terrifying. I, I remember going to the zoo in Chicago uh, several years ago. It was Christmas time and the lions were in their cages and they had kind of big carousels outside and they were playing Christmas carols. Uh-huh. Just uh, the worst kind of... It almost reminded me of the U.S. military trying to get Daniel Ortega out of his uh, out of his presidential palace by blasting the Rolling Stones at him. <laughs> well, I the thing that I really like about this is just the... Um, this is a almost a very Friedrich Kittler kind of thing where ah. the recorder, because it works differently from the human ear, you know, it just captures what's there, right? Yeah. And this recorder was down on the floor in this bag and it was at the dog's level. Yeah. Right? So we've got this kind of, um, you know, musical perfume that's trying to cover up the stench of this place, right? The Billy Joel, but it's it's kind of up at the human ear level right but this recorder's down on the floor with the dogs and it's picking up this different soundscape where billy joel just can't paper over the pain you know of these animals that's great and i think once again it's just it's just like mandy suzanne is is sort of getting us to positioning us in the position of these animals she's sort of mandy's grabbing on to these recordings that do this work of putting us in the aural position of of these other beings that live on our planet it's the it's so distressing to hear and many people listening will understand from their own domestic environment possibly they are dog owners themselves the the terror that's being expressed through these dog whines, these dog howls, the sense of utter insecurity in a place that's called shelter. So Chris, the last piece that we're going to encounter today is called 30 Times a Minute. It's by the video artist Colleen Plum. And it comes from years of her videotaping what's called the stereotypical behaviors of captive animals or specifically captive elephants. Yeah. 
the zoo, not as a place of beauty. We're listening to a chord that should have passed us by in a fraction of a second. But it happens that it's stuck, trapped chord. We're on uncomfortable benches in a dark room with a big screen. Horizontal wires slash the picture all the way through. Behind them is an Asian elephant. Behind her, a thick fence. Clothed primates stare at her. She stares at emptiness in the near distance, swaying from side to side to side. Her name is Sunda. She's in a zoo in Kansas. Cut to an African elephant swaying side to side in another zoo. Cut to an Asian elephant swaying behind bars as thick as her gray legs, side to side, never forward or backward. Different elephants, different zoos, all doing the same thing as this long cord just sits there. Colleen Plum, the artist of this work, traveled to 60 zoos in the US and Europe, videoing elephants as they weaved left and right, going nowhere. Swaying in place is abnormal for elephants. They'd walk 50 miles a day if they were free. We can't know for certain what the swaying is about, not being elephants ourselves, but Colleen observes only captive elephants exhibit weaving. It's stereotypic, pathological. If a human rocked from side to side to side all day, every, every single long, long, endless day, they'd be diagnosed mentally ill. In elephants, these compulsive, repetitive movements can cause debilitating, life-threatening damage to the animal's feet and joints. So in Colleen's sound and video collage 30 times a minute, we watch beautiful gray bodies grinding themselves down. Each elephant is alone, wearing herself out to music that's forgotten how to move. The trapped chord is the sound of old recordings of human animals playing hymns and classical music on non-human, non-animal bodies, except Colleen's broken the music into fragments of sound and slowed the fragments right down to 1 to 10% of their original speeds. So what once were melodies and progressions are now just chord. Sunda's pachyderm heart beats 30 times a minute half the speed of yours and mine. Slowing down human music to even less than half speed, Colleen wants us to feel how an imprisoned elephant feels her time. A photographer by training, Colleen had never worked with sound before. She wanted to make her own soundtrack because she wanted to retrain her perspective personally. To put herself through the experience of unlearning how to listen like a clothed and squeaky always rushing primate, Colleen herself took on the work of unraveling familiar tunes into long piles of sound. It's a new, uncertain ritual for her, the painstaking process of her perceptions slowing, ceasing to be familiar or make sense, the long, impossible anguish of becoming elephant.
Colleen's stretched sounds dream of a human body trapped in a captive's time with elephant's ears, sounding out the slow sensation of an interminable day, exposing Colleen's own insides, her delicate hearing organs and suggestible senses to caged elephant's monotony. Colleen's distorted, no longer human sounds are the sounds of Colleen listening to captive elephant's way of listening. Colleen's sounds are listening in action, listening as action and response. The sounds are lovely by themselves, but juxtaposed with portraits of elephant after elephant jerking side to side compulsively, those trapped cords start to squeeze. Their grasping feels like too tight clothes. Colleen asks, how do humans seek what she calls connectivity, the feeling of being connected to others? Since one of her answers is music, especially religious music, she gives us hymns with their very identities as hymns bled out of them as they bleed into sonic puddles. Zoos are another connectivity tactic. The zoo is where humans go to connect with other animals by learning about them and, above all, staring at them. Meanwhile, those at whom we stare, imprisoned elephants like Sunda, retreat into themselves. Imprisoned in her thoughts, thoughts of a life imprisoned, her one outlet is side to side to side neurosis. What Colleen's artwork tries to do is pervert feel-good practices of connectivity into experiences of confinement. And that's it for this episode of Phantom Power. Thanks to Mandy Suzanne Wong for coming on the show. Thanks also to the sound artists and recordists whose work we listened to today. Robbie Judkins, Claude Matthews and Colleen Plum. You can hear their works in their entirety. Find a link to Mandy Suzanne Wong's website, learn more about Phantom Power and find transcripts and previous episodes of the show all at phantompod.org. You can also subscribe to our show there or wherever you get your podcasts. We'd love it if you'd rate and review us in Apple Podcasts. And you can also find us on Facebook and Twitter at Phantom Pod. Today's show was edited by Craig Ely and Mac Haygood. Thanks to our intern, Gina Morovich. Phantom Power is produced with support from the Robert H. and Nancy J. Blaney Endowment, the Miami University Humanities Center, and the National Endowment for the Humanities.